Well, hey there, BCC. I'm so excited to be here to share the Word of God with you today. And before we get into the Word, I just wanted to let you know that I've been wrestling over this message for quite a few weeks, knowing that I was coming to speak. And here's why. Because I know that today we have a vote, and I want you to like me, okay? And I'm serious. <laughs> but at the same time, I realize that James chapter 3, verse 1 tells me that as a teacher that I'm going to endure a stricter judgment. And so I have to put all of that to the side, and I want to ask you to do the same, because I want us to focus today on the Scripture, because that's more important than any vote. Amen? And it's more important that today that perhaps is the day of someone's salvation, whether you're here in the room or whether you're online or whether you're watching out in the cafe area, whatever the case may be, perhaps today is the day where someone grows deeper in their dependence on who God is and what He may be doing in you. Perhaps He's been growing you throughout this series and you have made some progress. Maybe you have become born again throughout this series and God is wanting to deepen your trust and dependence in Him. That's more important than anything else. And so I want us to just pray together and ask that God would do that very thing. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word with this congregation. I thank you, Lord, that you are good. And I thank you, Lord, that you saw this day. And you knew that this day would come. And you knew who would be here. You knew who would be watching online. You knew who would be hearing this message. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work in hearts that only you can do and that your word would go forth with power and clarity, and you would just give the hearers ears to hear and hearts to respond. May lives be changed. May eternity be impacted. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, during this series, we have been learning how to identify where we are in our growth journey as a believer in Christ. And we've learned not only how to identify it, but how to move in this growth journey from one place to another. And we learned last week through Pastor Evan's message about the child stage. And that's the stage a lot of folks get stuck in because it's all about me, me, me. And sometimes we miss seeing that it's truly about others. So for us to grow out of that, we understand that we have to have a mentality shift. We have to change our paradigm to be able to see beyond ourselves. And when you get into this young adult phase, you get really excited about serving the Lord. You get really plugged in. You're committed. You're loving serving other people. And I think that it's a wonderful place for a lot of people when they arrive at that stage of spiritual maturity because they just want to do everything. They want to do everything for Jesus. And that's the stage where a lot of people get really plugged in and then if they're not careful and if they don't grow, they'll start to burn out as well. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Let's go over to 2 Peter, if you brought your Bible today. And we're going to go through 2 Peter, the first chapter. And remember, this is Peter, the apostle of Jesus, who wrote this. And he wrote this as his final will and testament. Peter's going to identify here in this text that he understands his days are coming to an end. And Jesus told him that back before Jesus ascended 
into heaven. He said, one day there's going to come a time where people are going to take you where you don't want to go when you're old. And he realizes this is that prophecy that Jesus spoke to me back when he asked me if I loved him. And he told me to go feed his lambs and feed his sheep. And so Peter understands this is that moment. And so he's writing this letter to the church and he's writing it specifically to Jewish Christians who he knows understand the gospel. He knows these people have a basic foundational idea and they've been walking with the Lord and they've been enduring persecution. And he's writing this to tell them the most important things because he realizes this may be the last time he ever has an opportunity to share truth with them. And so with that in mind, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He says this, Simon Peter, servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Stop right there for a moment. Because Peter, in his intro, identifies that he is a servant of Jesus, and he also identifies his office as an apostle. But then he levels the playing field, and he says, to those who have obtained a faith, we're all equal standing in the eyes of God. So he's saying, I'm not more important because I'm this apostle, or because I knew Jesus and, you know, actually walked physically here on the earth with him. He's saying, we're all one in Christ. Here's the differentiator of me being an apostle, and so he understands I'm in this kind of parent role. I've been walking with the Lord. I understand some things. I'm teaching you. But at the same time, in Christ, we all have the same need, and Christ is the answer for that need. And he says this in verse 2, may peace be multiplied to you, may grace be multiplied to you, and may you grow in this knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So here Peter is necessitating the idea of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. In what ways? In knowing God more. Having yourself grow in understanding who God is, his character, his nature. Understanding the gospel and what Jesus has done. And not only growing in knowledge but also growing in affection, growing in passion for serving the Lord. Because the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you should be excited about following the Lord. Amen? Amen. The longer that you're serving Him, the longer that you have been in this journey and you've been growing, the more passionate and just in love with Christ that we should be. But sometimes when we're in this young adult phase, what happens is we get really excited, we get really passionate, and we want to do everything. And people begin to get burnt out. And then when they get older in life, they say things like, oh, I'm going to let all those younger people with their zeal and their excitement take over from here. And I'll just kind of hit the cruise control button. I'll kind of just stop. And this series name interests me that was chosen because we say, are we there yet? And I think the problem with most Christians is that they have an idea of, I'm there. I'm okay. I've reached the pinnacle. I've reached the apex. I've kind of learned that before. I know those scriptures. I know those verses. I understand those principles. And they're ready to move on to something else. People in church will call these the deeper things. And they'll say it like it's some big mysterious thing that they want to move on to. And really what deeper things tend to be in most people's minds are things that maybe no one's ever heard or ever heard quite put that way. I remember when I first started out in uh, preaching ministry, I've been preaching every 
every week since I was 15 years old. And I remember when I first started, I used to feel this pressure to come up with something in the scripture that was so obscure that no one had ever heard before. I would just dig and dig in the Old Testament to find some weird story nobody knew about because I knew everybody knew David and Goliath. I knew everybody knew about Moses and the Ten Commandments, but there's this weird named character that his name, I'm probably not saying it right, but he did this really weird thing. There's like two verses about him and I've got a whole series. But, but that was the pressure that I used to feel. And a lot of ministers feel that because they think that that's deeper things. Folks, can I tell you that Christ is lacking nothing? Can I tell you there is nothing greater than the message of the gospel? That Jesus Christ would die for a sinner like you and me? That he would come while we were yet enemies of God and he would become our substitute to where we could now by faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross be called sons and daughters? And not when we were perfect, not when we got our act together. Scripture says in Romans that it was while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. What a glorious truth. There is nothing greater than him, just like we sang earlier. Christ is not lacking anything. And Peter knows that as he's speaking this message to these people, as he's writing this message to them, he wants them to understand that Jesus and the gospel are going to anchor them through all of their journeys, through all of their trials, through all of the sin that they may battle or that they may wrestle with or be tempted with. He lets them know Christ is sufficient and Christ is lacking nothing. And he wants to communicate that. And I want us to hear that today as well, because as we grow in the gospel, we're going to be positioned by his power to be able to grow in these things. Because it's one thing to just learn knowledge. It's one thing to learn a bunch of principles. But we can all be really good hearers of the word without being very good doers. And I don't want us to be a church full of people who just know a lot of facts and know a lot of figures and can win Bible debates. <laughs> I don't want us to just be people who want to go impress our atheist neighbor or coworker uh, and tell them how smart we are. No. I want us to be people who are passionate about serving Jesus because there's nothing better than him. Amen. So let's keep on reading. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, listen to this, make every effort to do what? To supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there for a moment. He says a whole lot in this text here. He's saying it's by his divine nature. It's something he did. So he's the one who started this. He's going to be the one to finish it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete that work. So it's not like Jesus gets you started and goes, good luck, buddy. We'll see how that works out for you. It's Christ working in you initially here and all the way through here. You never stop needing Jesus at one of these points because you're great. Actually, you learn more and more your dependence on him. 
you learn more and more your need. And you learn more and more how he has supplied your need according to his riches and glory. You learn how sufficient he is. And you begin to trust in that and deepen that trust and that faith and that dependence. Not go, oh, I really need a Jesus here. But man, I'm, I'm good here. Like I know Jesus, but I'm good here. No, no, no. It's an increasing need, an increasing deepening of knowing who he is and just thanking him, loving him, becoming grateful, learning contentment with godliness, learning what matters most. And that's what Peter's trying to help them understand here. And he says this, if these qualities are yours and increasing, so are we there yet? No, we're still growing. We're still increasing. He said, if these qualities are yours and increasing, it's going to keep you from something. It's going to keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. So that means that as a Christian, God hasn't just called me to gather once a week with fellow believers and sing songs and hear a sermon. No, this is a daily thing. Amen? This is a daily life he's called us to, and that is to be effective and fruitful. That's what he's calling us to. He said you should be effective and fruitful because if you do these things, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. So we should keep continually growing. Verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. He's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. What's Peter saying? He's saying he's forgotten the gospel. He said, I know that. I got that already. I understand that. I'm ready to move on. No, no, no. He said he forgot that. He, he forgot the richness of that. He's gotten distracted. He's, he's drifted away from the gospel and what really matters. Verse 10, so therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and you're established in the truth that you have. And I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's speaking in this role of a parent. He's speaking here these truths. And he's wanting them to understand the necessity of dependence on the grace of God. Because God's grace in Christ is the very source of godly living that causes us to grow. It is truly the grace that we have that's been given freely to us, not what we deserved, not what we earned. No, that would be merit. It's grace. It's something I didn't earn. It's something I didn't deserve. And he gave it to me freely. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then scripture even goes on to say that, you know, it's, it, Jesus himself, he said, you know, it's, it's a rare thing for someone to even be willing to die for like a good person. Maybe for a good man once we'll... You know, once in a while you'll hear about that. No greater love, Jesus said, has any man than this, than he'd be willing to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus loved us with a love that we didn't deserve, we didn't earn, and we can't earn that love, it's grace. And that grace of the gospel in Christ, being anchored in that, reminding ourselves of that, being sharpened in that is a source, is the source of godly living that helps us to grow. And as Peter identifies himself in this role, of a, as a parent, you can see what part of that role is. And I don't want to jump into that message. That'll be in a couple of weeks. But that 
is really the time where you are intentional about investing. Paul's using, I mean, Peter's using his time very well here. He realizes these are the most important things I want you to remember. These are the most important things I want to tell you. And he wants to help them to grow. I have always used the example and heard the example, and I'm not this smart to have come up with this example, so I don't know who did, but somebody told it to me a long time ago. I'm just repeating it. But it's the, this idea of Christian maturity and Christian growth being like Christmas. Every one of us can relate to Christmas because when we were a little kid, we were all excited about Christmas and we were excited about what we were going to get. We couldn't wait for Christmas. I remember when I was a kid, we had um, one of those little advent calendars and it had a little plush bear that would get moved around to different rooms in the house. In the last room, the little bear found Christmas. And so as you would move the bear every day, my sister and I would argue about who got to move the bear. And we were so excited, but it felt like forever that Christmas just wouldn't get here. And, and, and I'm like, when is Christmas? When is Christmas? You know, as soon as Christmas is done, I'm like, oh, I have to wait a whole other year. And when you're a parent, you're like, oh man, it's January. We need to start saving for Christmas. And it seems like it gets here so fast. And you're like, didn't we just do Christmas? And it's just a different perspective. But the kid is only interested in what they get. And they're so excited, just like that new Christian. They can't wait to get to church because what are they excited about? They're excited about what they're going to get. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so jazzed about what I'm going to get. And they just have this excitement about it and just this wide-eyed look. And they're just so excited about that time in their lives. But then they start turning into teenagers. I've got three of them. There's three teenagers in my house. Your prayers are appreciated. Those, my kids are great, but there are three teenagers in my house. And the older you get, especially I remember like around 16, 17, 18 years old, I was excited about Christmas, but also I kind of wanted to sleep in too. You know, back when I was a kid, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. Can, can we open presents? Can we open presents? Can we open presents? And when I'm 18, I'm like, nah, I'll get to that later. But there's a weird feeling you experience at that time in life because you, you, you want Christmas to have that magic it used to have when you were a kid, but you don't feel the same. And this is where people get stuck. It's somewhere, somewhere in here. They get stuck because they're, they're growing in Christ, they're, they're, but they're not as excited as they used to be. And they wonder what's wrong with them or they wonder what's wrong with their church, they wonder what's wrong with the pastor. And they just go, well, you know, I, I don't know. You know, that, it's, it's just not as good as it used to be. It's a, you know, I used to have so much more fun in my small group. I used to be so much more excited about the Lord. And well, if it's not my responsibility, it's got to be someone else's. And people just think that way and, and they begin to get discontent because what are they after? They want to recapture that childhood. They want to recapture that first season of, of just coming to faith in Christ. They want to recapture that. They want to feel what they used to feel. And so they'll go looking for that. And it seems like no matter where they go looking, it just never quite feels the way it used to feel. And that's where a lot of people get lost. And that's where people need help growing because as we're able to help people grow, you experience a new place of maturity, just like the parent in the story of Christmas and in the maturity of Christmas. Because I'll tell you what, I know you young people in the room, you may not understand this, but being a parent and giving your kids gifts is awesome. Like it is the most fun. I love giving my kids gifts and I love like hiding gifts. And you got to be good at it because it's getting tougher because of Amazon, right? Uh, the kid hears the doorbell ring and they go over there and like, no, 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 no. You don't answer the door. You don't answer the door. I'll get the door. What is that? What's in that mom or what's in that dad? Nothing, none of your business. You mind your own business. This is not for you. 
And you got to get creative because kids are smart. You can't just tuck something under the bed. That's the first place they look. And you've spent like months planning this and like hiding things and like putting things in multiple boxes because you think it's funny to aggravate your kids that way to make them open like 20 boxes. And you're like, this is so going to be worth it. And your kid's just like, oh, opening another box. It's going to be great. And you are so excited as a parent to be able to give gifts to your children. And you delight in that. And you become very intentional in that. You think about what would they like? What's going to be best for them? It sucks, right? <laughs> Underwear. No. <laughs> you, 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 think about, you think about them. Your mind and your heart is on them. Why? Because you've grown. You're, you're, you're a parent now. You're thinking differently. It's not about you. Do you still get things at Christmas? Sure. But you know what? It's not the focus anymore as much because I've grown to a place where I've learned the principle that Jesus taught us that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I'm giving joyfully, and it's exciting, and it's fun, and I love it. And so that's what Peter's trying to help people who are in this, this spot, because he knows he's not going to always be around to pour into them. He knows his time's drawn near, and so he's wanting to make sure he clarifies what's really important. So how do we identify, and how do we grow in the young adult stage? Well, we've been using a book um, to go through this series called Real Life Discipleship by Jim Putman. And I got a copy of this book in preparation for this message because I wanted to get caught up um, with this series. And I, I told Evan, I said, you know, even if the vote doesn't work out, I don't want to mess the series up. So <laughs> I went and got the book and uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have said that. All right. So in, in this book, he talks about defining the young adult. And here's what um, Putman says. He says that the young adult has a desire to serve other people for others' good and for the glory of God. They have a tendency to feel responsible for how others respond to the message. They have possible pride if someone accepts the message. They feel like, I'm a great Christian, you know. And then they feel really bad and responsible if the person doesn't. They get really discouraged and they feel like they're failing. Another uh, behavior or attitude of a young adult would be they have a desire to serve, but they're not really strategic about it. They're just like, yeah, there's, there's 10 things I need to sign up for. I'll sign up for 11. You know, they just crank it up a little bit more. And they're not really concerned about training. They just want to do stuff. They're just excited. They have naive, uh, uh, naivety about other believers. They may think everybody else is like them, and they think everybody else feels the same way they feel, and that may not be true. They think everything's fine, you know, when maybe things aren't. Uh, they have a tendency to be black and white about what they think. And here's what uh, Putman says the spiritual needs are at this stage. A place to learn and serve. They need a spiritual parent who will debrief them about ministry experiences, both good and bad. They need ongoing relationships that offer encouragement and accountability. They need help for establishing boundaries. They need guidance for regarding, oh, here's a fun word, accountability and expectations to help them to serve. They need help in identifying their gifts. They need skills. They need training. So they've got the energy. They've got the passion. They've got the devotion. They just need to grow. And they need someone who's a little further down the road than they are to walk with them. And that's the thing that's going to help that young adult grow in that. They've moved out of this childhood thing of it being all about me. But if they don't get stuck there, they're going to hit cruise control and think, well, I'm good. What else do I need to do? I show up and I do my thing and I have gave my best years, you know, back then. And, and let me tell you something. If you're still sucking air, you've got a purpose. Amen? Yeah. 
You're not just taking up space. God still has you here for a reason. And you need to remember that. And what is that? Because the longer you have life experience, the longer you have walking with the Lord, and the longer you've been growing in this faith journey, what a gift you are to the body of Christ. Don't get out of the way. Start mentoring and investing in someone else. Don't disengage. Don't just get comfortable. Continue to grow because you haven't arrived. Until he calls you home, you're still here. And you still have gifts and you still matter to the body of Christ. And I want to see you re-engage and I want to see us see ourselves that way because that's how Christ sees us. But you could see, even in Peter, he wasn't always here. He wasn't always at this stage. No, there was a Peter before he was in this parent stage. He was in this young adult stage where he was really excited. Let's go look at Peter for a minute in the book of Matthew chapter 17. So hold your place there in 2 Peter and let's just flip for a minute over to Matthew chapter 17. Now, in this story, Jesus has taken his three closest disciples, the guys that he's really mentoring, Peter, James, and John, and he's gone on a little journey with them, and something really amazing is about to happen that's going to just show them who Christ is. And they're just excited to be with Jesus. They're committed. They're these young adults. They're committed. They're working with Jesus. They're serving. They've left their nets behind, and they're totally in, and they're passionate about following Jesus. Verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them to be Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. What? Hang on. These guys have been dead for a long time, or they've been, you know, gone for a long time. And how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Did they like have name tags or something? Because how would they have known what they looked like? But they knew somehow that it was Moses and Elijah. And you need to understand something about Peter, James, and John. These guys grew up it's Jewish children who heard these stories, who memorized the first five books of the Bible by the time that they were 12 years old. And these guys knew these stories. They knew these people and they read about the prophet Elijah. I mean, I could imagine they even would have had like action figures of Moses and Elijah that they played with as kids. You know, it's like Elijah, like we're going to call down fire from heaven. Oh, you know, and Moses, we're going to part the Red Sea, you know, and then like they they grew up, these guys were their heroes. And to see them with Jesus, they were so excited to see Moses and Elijah with Jesus. Could you imagine these people you've heard these stories about your whole life? And they're with this guy you've been following. And they're talking with him. And Peter gets an idea. Peter, in his passion and his zeal, he says, hey, Jesus, Verse 4, Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. And I could imagine Jesus slowly turned and just looked at him. Yep, it sure is, Pete. It's good. He's excited. He's a young adult. He's passionate. He said, Lord, it's good we're here. I'll tell you what, if you wish... I'm going to make three tents here. That's what I'm going to do. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What do you think about that, Jesus? Mm, Jesus, I can imagine 
uh, is understanding Peter doesn't get it. And then apparently Peter keeps talking. And the scripture doesn't say what Peter said. It just says he gets interrupted. Who interrupts him? God, audibly, from heaven. In the middle of him thinking he's doing good, because that's what young adults do. I'm doing a lot of good. I'm excited. Woohoo! And he says, let's build three tents. And here's what happened, verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one there left but Jesus. And you see, Peter didn't understand. He thought that Jesus was another great prophet. You know, at this time, thought, you know, this is exciting to have these three guys here. And God saying, no, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Elijah. Do you realize who you're with? Maybe Peter drifted. Maybe Peter forgot. Maybe Peter was wrestling. But in that moment, they were just afraid, fell down on their faces. And they had a moment where they realized, oh, it's just Jesus. You could see these things happening in the life of Peter with a zeal. You can see these same things happening in the life of a, of a young believer, someone who they are caring about other people, they want to passionately serve God, but they're not quite at that mature parent stage where they're being intentional with it. They want to do things. They want to do good things. In Peter's mind, he thought tents were a good thing. Like he thought that was a cool idea. But that wasn't what God wanted. He, and so God had to bring correction there in that moment and show him, no, this is Jesus. This is not what we're doing. We're not just putting a bunch of tents up for these three people as some sort of memorial or some sort of way to, to worship. No, this is, this is Jesus. It's just Jesus. And so in that moment, Peter's anchored in this idea of just Jesus. And then we see as the mature Peter writing in 2 Peter chapter 1, he's telling his followers that he's been discipling as this parent figure, as this apostle. It's just Jesus. Something shifted. Something changed in Peter, and he was able to grow. And growth in Christ is not something that you or I are meant to do alone. It's not something where it's this maverick thing where we go out, and that's why Peter understands the value of people connecting in Christ-centered community and lets them know the types of things they need to be doing, the types of things they need to be concerned about and how important it is, especially, as the writer of Hebrews said, as the day of the Lord approaches. Let's not forsake assembling. And that doesn't just mean on Sunday morning. That means all throughout the week as well, as believers, just sharpening one another. Because Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man's countenance sharpen another. We need one another. As you look at Scripture, I shared this on Friday during that interview time at the meet and greet, that in the book of Genesis, when we see the creation account, God said all these things he made were good. Birds, good. Fish, good. Animals, good. Plants, good. And then the first thing God said is not good is that man was alone. And in the context, it wasn't saying that God made a mistake or God had oversight on something that he missed. No, it was the fact that God was saying, I'm creating you for a relationship with me first and foremost and then with others. And he's talking about, of course, marriage there, but it just goes to show that it wasn't meant for something for us to just go and do by ourselves. God had intention of us having a relationship with him first and foremost and seeing him as the priority 
And then he wants us to be connected to each other. We see this in Acts chapter 2, when the birth of the church happens there, and we see how the Holy Spirit moved, and we see how Peter preaches this amazing sermon, and we see how 3,000 people get added to the church that day, and then they just go about their lives loving each other, caring for each other. Oh, you, you need a shirt? Here, let me give you mine. Oh, here, you need some food? Here, let me help you with that. And it wasn't because someone told them they should do those things. It was because they were compelled to do them because the love of God that had been shed abroad in their hearts, they freely received, so they freely wanted to give, and they were loving each other. They were loving God, and they were loving one another, and they were loving others, and this love was attracted. That's why Jesus said himself that the calling card that you are one of his disciples, the world will know you are my disciples by this that you have love one for another. It's contagious. It's something that when we bring people in, connect with them, we're doing life with them, we're loving them. And you're not going to know everybody in a church this size. That's not the goal for you to know every single person and just care about them so intimately and know every detail of their life. That, that's not feasible for you to do. We can love each other, though. We can pray for each other. We can care for one another. And we can be connected to some people in a very deep way. And whether that be through a life group, whether that be through serving together on a team, whether that be through us just being friends, neighbors, whatever the case may be, and loving each other during the good times and the bad times. Amen? Amen. As we do this, what it does is it helps us to live out our lives in a way that's bringing honor and glory to God. And we're helping people grow in this journey as we ourselves are growing in this journey. And we never stop growing in this journey because guess what, folks? We never stop needing Jesus. So we need to understand this is why Christ in our community is so important. The church should be full of disciples making disciples, right? This is the great commission that we're called to, the great commission that we're to go into all the world and make disciples. And as we grow in that, we need to grow in being good disciple makers, intentional, but we ourselves must, ha we have to grow as well. Remember, 2 Peter, he said things like this. He said, make every effort to supplement your faith. In other words, keep growing. As you're helping others to grow, you yourself keep growing. He said, these qualities in you should be increasing. And then remember, he gives that list about all these things. You know, love should lead to this. And, and, and you should see how knowledge and self-control, how they all connect. And you should grow in all of these other areas. I'm making every effort, he said, to remind you. I'm wanting you to get this. I'm wanting to stir you up, he said. I'm wanting to help you to grow. But for us to grow, we need to do this. We gotta, we gotta be humble. A humble person consistently has a desire to grow. A humble person sees their need. And a humble person is willing to say, I don't have this. Because a lot of times we like to lead with our strengths and we think that somehow our strengths impress God. Guess what, folks? He's not impressed with your strengths. He didn't go, yay, I got Derek on my team. He didn't say, yay, I got you on my team. That, that's, that's not what he's excited about because finally he can get some things done, right? He's been waiting for someone so great to be on his team. You see, God's not lacking anything. And even the gifts that we have to serve God, guess what, folks? Those gifts that we have to serve God come from God. They're gifts of his spirit on the inside of us. And so it's actually God saving us, God empowering us, God using us, God growing us and anchoring us in the gospel. He didn't say he needed our help doing that. And so when I deepen my dependence on him, I grow, I grow, but I gotta be humble. I gotta recognize my need. And when I think I've got it all figured out, you know what happens? 
I, I hit cruise control. I get arrogant. I get prideful. I get self-reliant. I need to repent of those things and declare my need because I never stop needing Jesus. So here's what I want to encourage you to do in closing here. I want you to identify people or a person that God has placed in your life who's further down the road than you. I want you to humble yourself and admit you don't know everything. And guess what? You don't know what you don't yet know. And you have to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God as he invests in you, as he uses other people, strategic relationships. Some of those mentors in those relationships in my life, I've had to go search out and find them. And it was someone I saw that I admired. I admired their walk. I admired how further down the road they were than me. And I just said, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee sometime? And I developed a great friendship with many people in my life who poured into me. Are, are you being intentional with that? I don't want you to get stuck. I want you to keep growing. Maybe for you, maybe you haven't got connected or you haven't committed to a life group, or maybe you've been kind of casual with it. Maybe today is the day that you go, I need to get serious about this. If you got to do it virtually, however, you, it doesn't matter. Here's the point. Start somewhere. Don't just walk out of here the same way you walked in. Don't walk out of here having heard a message, being stirred, and done nothing with it. The more you do that, the more calloused in your heart you're going to get. God, give us a sensitivity to your spirit. God, give us a sensitivity to your word to not just be good hearers, but to be good doers. Amen, church. I want us to be a church full of doers, a church full of people who hear the word, get stirred, get encouraged, or, 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 or get brought to a place of conviction or a place of repentance, whatever it needs to happen. Whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. And then I want us to actually do something with that word. I don't want us to be a bunch of people puffed up with a bunch of prideful knowledge. Look how smart we are. Oh, look at all the things we know. No, be humble. I need Jesus. When someone wants to, uh, does something that offends you, when someone comes across a, a way maybe they didn't intend to or they did, you're able to give them grace because you remember you received grace. You're able to give mercy because you remember you received mercy. You're able to help others who are maybe not quite where you are in their walk with the Lord because you see a need. And you never forget that. You humble yourself. You stay humble and remember your need. Maybe you need to go through the five foundational classes. What a great opportunity in this church to be able to grow and to be able to develop a stronger relationship with the Lord. Let's just keep growing. Let's not get stuck. Are we there yet? No. <laughs> We're not. And we won't be there until we see Jesus face to face. So it's not about me just getting to the apex. Even as a parent, Peter's like, I'm still not there. I'm still growing. I'm still reminding myself of the gospel. And I'm going to spend every last breath I have reminding you too. I'm going to spend every last breath I have reminding you because when I'm gone, I want you to be able to recall it at any time because I'm not always going to be here. So seek accountability. Keep pursuing and enjoying God more. Keep reminding yourself of the gospel. We're about to do that together here in a moment. Pastor Josh is going to lead us through receiving the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, as a reminder of what Christ has done for us. Don't let this become some rhythmic, religious, ritualistic obligation that you just go through the motions and you, you take communion. No, humble yourself. Examine yourself, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. Lord, remind me of my need in this moment. Humble me because I need to keep growing and I want to help others grow as well. I want you to be stirred today, church, to keep pursuing God more and having your hearts and your affections set on him. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I pray your Holy Spirit does what no man can do. 
what no song could do, what no preacher could do. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves and touches hearts, opens eyes, and stirs our passion for you, Lord. If there's someone in this room who does not know you or someone watching online, perhaps today is the day of their salvation. Perhaps today is the day where maybe they they thought because they just came to church, they were okay. And they realized I have a need and Jesus is sufficient to meet my need. Lord, I pray that today they would have an encounter with you where they would put their faith and trust in you. I pray that today, Lord, would be the day where it becomes real to them. I pray that today, Lord, that if there are people who do know you that are watching online or that are here in the room today, I pray, Lord, that if they've gotten stagnant stagnant, or perhaps, Lord, they, they've gotten to a place of inconsistency or they've gotten to a place where they're just tired, Lord, I pray you would stir in them a fresh fire. I pray, just like Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift, I pray they'd be stirred up today. I pray, Father, that they would be renewed today. If there are those who are weary, those who are battling and struggling, may us receiving the Lord's Supper together, and may us singing this hymn together, may it remind us of our need and how the blood of Jesus is sufficient and you paid that price for us. Help us to keep growing, Lord, in Jesus' name.